Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. You're welcome along to this week's Between the Lines programme here on News Talk with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact about our last episode, looking at how our daily lives might change post-COVID-19 and in particular how general practice and the medical sector might change in the next couple of months. You can still listen back to the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or as always on the Go Loud app and you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well coming up on today's programme we'll be discussing your consumer finance plans and we'll have expert advice asking where you can make savings during this time and post-COVID. The health insurers recently announced some rebate in recent weeks for consumers during this particular period. But what about the other sectors like the motor and business insurance areas? Well, joining us on the programme is the founder of MoneyWiz and also financial literacy expert Frank Conway. Frank, lots of changes for people over the past two months really in particular. But just from a consumer finance perspective, how have things changed for people in their daily lives or what will they have noticed? Well, I think the first thing that for the vast majority of people would be the, on the income side. And, you know, obviously we've moved away from, you know, and there's quite close to a million people have been impacted one way or another. So the change in income, the drop in income for some people, so for even people who didn't get laid off or furloughed for a period of time, there's been reductions in salary for many individuals. So that's a big, big one for a lot of people. And so that has prompted a lot of change in behaviour. And change in behaviour has happened on the expense side where people simply spend money uh, simply because they can spend it, number one, but also uh, people are increasingly concerned in terms of, um, you know, when is this all going to be right or moving back to normal. And I think we're recognising now that it's going to take some time maybe for for some industries maybe to get back to a state of normality. And then once you have change, and change is ever-present, but once change happens, people just become very conservative uh, stress levels go up, and we can talk a bit more about that, but the biggest thing for most people is the protection of cash. In, in what way, Frank? Just expand on what you mean by that. Well, g- generally what happens is, you know, when there is a stress, for example, so often people assume that people will spend more money when they're stressed out or they're at home, but actually that doesn't necessarily happen. And there's, uh, lo- there's lots of different studies on this, but for people, if we take somebody who's stressed about a job, for example, typically in that case they will pull back on on spending, even on clothing, things like that. And then where people might be stressed about getting a job, they will spend a little bit more. Where there is, where there is an element of lack of control, people tend to hoard money. Where there is a, a stress, but there is an element of control coming back for an individual, maybe going back to work, they will tend to spend a little bit more. But it's really about that element of control and where people are uh, facing a, a, a very uncertain outcome or where they see that have, they have no control over the outcome they tend to hoard that cash for a period of time. And this comes up time and time again. And for the last four, five, six weeks, these are typically the questions that will come back into us in terms of what should I do with cash? Should I spend or should I hold? And it's just a very conservative approach. And that has happened time and time again, even since since the Great Recession or Depression in the United States in the 1930s. People will hold cash Mm -hmm. in uncertain situations. And is that just a confidence thing? People are, I suppose, the level of uncertainty around, you know, how long this might go on for. People are maybe concerned about their jobs. Obviously, they've seen other people being affected in terms of layoffs and um, salary cutbacks. Yeah, and and, even though, and that's exactly it, what happens is even where we've had banks and lenders saying, well, we'll give you a three-month or maybe up to a six-month break on a a payment or whatever, uh, it is after that where I think people now are beginning to recognise that there isn't a clear path out of this. And I guess the timelines 
really come back to, you know, when could we have a vaccine? And we're not quite sure. And even where a vaccine might be validated or proved, for example, then when can we ramp that up and get the vaccines out to everybody? So that is the period of time where people become very concerned. And the first thing that people will tend to look at, and we found this even through the recession from 2008 to 2016, was that people tend to try to protect their homestead, for example, and essential expenses, food on the table, roof over their heads, and, and try to maintain essential protections as well. And these are key areas that people will want to make sure that they can at least afford, you know, if money runs a little bit low or even get to the point of maybe running out for some individuals. Okay. Um, is this typically a time, Frank, when people start to kind of look at some of the bills and maybe start to reevaluate, particularly if there's, um, you know, some premiums that are up for renewal around this time of year? Yeah, very much so. Uh, and the starting point, I mean, one thing we've always done is we've always said to individuals, look, you know, if you want to take back control, because there are four pillars to building financial security. And the first one always is having a rainy day fund, for example. And I would typically say try to have three six months living expenses, uh, buying the home, paying it off quickly, having protection policies and, and planning for retirement. That You don't get to that without at least having a very serious discussion with your income and expenditure. It's a very standard budgeting sheet. You know, they can download one from my website or whatever. They don't cost anything. You can just simply take an A4 sheet. You can do it on the seat. The ccpc.ie has a very good run the Competition Consumer Protection Commission. But the starting point is to question everything. And that everything begins with what expenses might have kind of rolled on, sometimes subscriptions. And it's not to say to people get rid of all subscriptions because, you know, living at home under curfew for the last six weeks. Some people have lived and thrived on maybe having streaming services. So we just need to be very careful on those ones. But often what we find is that we may have expenses in there that we weren't fully accounting for. So in emergency situations, or getting ready or anticipating for those, really just begin to go through all the expenses. And some people may have very, very little. More people might have more. What we're finding is that people will be spending perhaps less on you know, going overseas holidays this year. But where might they spend a little bit more? Streaming services, for example, can be expensive. You know, online gaming can be expensive. So some cases I've seen people who may have been spending three to five hundred euro per month on some expenses. That starting point is that serious discussion that people need to have with themselves. And that's where they begin to question costs. Lots of good websites out there from a comparison basis. So start with the low-hanging fruit. What is perhaps an unnecessary expense or an overlooked expense? Or even sometimes where people have old protection policies and they haven't looked at them in the last 10 years they might want to have a conversation now with the provider. So that's your starting point, generally. Okay. Now, the first point I want to ask you about um, in more in terms of just focusing on particular areas, we had the announcement from the health insurance companies um, in the pa- in recent weeks, Frank, where they've talked about a, you know, a rebate and some customers will have already noticed that. And that's something we'll turn our attention to in more detail in the, in the next part of the programme. But I want to ask you, first of all, a lot of people are working at home at the minute. And, you know, that's something that they might be doing for the next while. But they are entitled to some rebates. And I know that, for instance, you know, employees that are working from home are even being urged to claim tax relief. Just what does that kind of thing entitle people to? Yeah, it's just what it's called as the e-worker relief. And basically anybody who is self-employed or who uses a period of time at home, very simply, they can get all that information from, um, there's both citizens information explains it very well, or revenue also explains it very well. But very simply for the for the, your audience, um, it's called e-worker relief. And basically somebody who might be using light, electricity, services at home, they're allowed a certain amount of relief on the back of that. So they basically get the formula from revenue, and then there's a filing of that. So it's not like the entire 
uh, electricity bill is discountable you know, because, of, uh, because of working at home. But that percentage of time that the person might be, and it wouldn't be for somebody who might have taken extra work home, who might have been in the office, it's for somebody specifically who's working at home. So there's a little bit of relief out there. And one of the things in Ireland often is we're, we're quite poor, maybe at claiming back on relief, not all the time, but the revenue estimates that up to several hundred million euro every year does not claim, get claimed back on relief. So that would be a good starting point for somebody to at least get familiar with the e-worker relief, go into revenue, get the details, and then figure out just the formulas. And the formulas are fairly liberal in terms of you know, roughly how much time do you use at home. And that is something that would be back in people's pockets in terms of, in terms of maybe just a little bit more money. Sometimes if the employer is paying a certain stipend per day, that will cover it. But if they're not, that's where the, the individual will file the full amount back. And is it something that the employees need to speak to their employers about? Does it apply to everybody in every industry, Frank? Well, it applies to anybody now who would be working at home so broadly. So you don't necessarily have to talk to the employer if the employer isn't paying that individual for, work, for working at home. So in other words, the employer has light and electricity in the office. Now they've kind of outsourced that. They've said, well, you're going to be working from home, but we're going to pay you for the light and electricity. They're not paying you that. I think, I think it's 350 per day. Generally, you know, a lot of employers may not have been set up for that. So the first thing is you don't necessarily have to go to the employer for that. It's not that at all. It's that individual will be claiming back in terms of, you know, filing through revenue for the amount that's in there. So if the employer isn't making a contribution, then the individual has the right to claim back. But the, there is a validation in terms of make sure that you can prove that you're working from home. And there might be a note coming from, from employers in some cases, and maybe not in more cases. But revenue is very specific in terms of how you file, but how much it is and how you claim back. The big issue for a lot of people is just don't claim back the full light broadband expense. Just do it on the proportionate amount of time roughly that you're working. If it's eight hours a day, it's roughly, you know, that's what that percentage of time that you might have ordinarily been in the office. That's, it's fairly straight, straightforward yeah. and simple form. Okay. Um, in terms of other utility bills as well, Frank, can people expect, like the health insurers, to start to get some kind of a rebate or will that apply now in terms of other sectors? Yeah, I'm not sure about utility bills. I'm not sure if they have said a lot there. I think the biggest thing is... I would encourage people to perhaps use some of the online comparison sites like Switcher, for example. That's really one way of getting it down. Now, some of the tricks you can use, and this applies across all industry, you know, for somebody with a mortgage, for example, but specifically when it comes to utilities, I would certainly have the conversation with the provider, but also perhaps use some of the online comparison sites in terms of usage and costs you've had to date. Some people may may never have switched provider. Maybe go on to some of the uh, online comparison sites, and then perhaps on the back of that, go back to the provider and say, well, I found something better. Also ask if they've got lower tariffs based on what the individual is paying. And generally, the providers will do that. This even evens happens with mortgage providers. But one thing I would always say to people is, if you go to a provider, make sure you're well-armed. Because one of the problems, even with mortgages, is people will look for a reduction. Make sure you've compared the market. Go back to the provider. I've seen even mortgage providers that have moved their rates from 4.8% down to 3% simply because the individual had found a better deal online. So that's your negotiating power. It's not really just to ask for it, but also go in with a little bit of ammunition on that as well. Now, what about the motor insurers? Because a lot of people will be wondering why they're still paying the same maybe monthly premium, Frank, in the past maybe two months, for instance, when in many cases their car may have barely moved from the front, you know, from, from outside the front of their house. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, and generally, I would look at that two ways. I think, first of all, what the minister seems to have pushed on that one is on the claims prospect there and said, well, look, you, know, you should be giving more money back to people. Um, the starting point with insurance always is there is always a risk. Even if you're driving 
two kilometres per day or whatever to the shops, there is always a risk of driving. Now, it's been slightly different with health insurers because they've abandoned one of the key features and benefits, which was the private hospital cover, and so that's where the rebates came from. Okay. Uh, but on the car insurance, it's slightly different, I think, and I think the minister and the government has been pushing there based on the expectation that there would be lower claims on the back end. So that's the interesting discussion in terms of where they will move to, and I think that's perhaps an ongoing discussion. Of course, the rule of thumb always with any insurance provider is try to get three of them in advance. And the problem I often run into is people simply don't allow enough time when premiums are coming up for renewal. They let the time run out and then they just don't have enough time to compare the market. That's not to say that they may not get a better deal. They may in some cases, but always try to compare, bundle where they can, use house insurance as well. If it's car, bring in house insurance mm-hmm. as well, maybe as a bundle package. And that's often how we get the cost down. Over the last 10 years, me personally... I almost combined the two, but I was always shop both as, as well as separately. So the biggest issue is allow time, compare the market, and then perhaps wait a little bit in terms of what the insurers may be doing because the liability is slightly different in those cases. But you also always need to be negotiating with those providers. And if your premium, for instance, is you know due to be paid at the end of the month, is there just a certain time period in that um, you know in that timeline leading up to your renewal that you have to perhaps change provider? Generally, yeah. And what I've found is that, like, let's say, even with like the like the protection policy providers, like so for life insurance or serious illness protection providers, what they've kind of been moving towards is allowing a bit more flexibility. But I don't use any hard and fast rules. I think you've almost got to ask in cases. And that's why we go back to the income and expenditure. So the budgeting tool for somebody to go back to a provider and say, well, look, I'm having a difficulty making making payment. Now, I've personally seen some insurance providers that just don't give any flexibility in that at all. And there are others that seem to be saying, well, look, if you have a difficulty at the moment, we'll extend the grace period. So ask that question in terms of if somebody is having a difficulty. The problem with insurance, though, is the liability doesn't the liability doesn't go away? You know, so unlike a mortgage, for example, where the, where the provider may give a three-month holiday, they get that money back at the end of it anyway. Um, so you know, it's simply just deferring that payment and then decapitalise out what we call we use the term the amortise it back into the mortgage payment. Insurance is different because the risk is always there. The risk that you might only drive three miles a day, but you, God forbid you get into an accident, that doesn't go away. But the question should be will the provider extend the grace period if the individual is having a difficulty at that particular time? Now, I want to ask you in particular, Frank, about businesses, because a lot of businesses have been really concerned about some of the overheads and costs that, you know, they still have to pay during this period. Um, And in particular, with regards to business insurance, there seems to be some loophole where the, am I right in saying the insurers don't have to pay out in terms of, is it the interruption payment? Yeah, I, I think there's lots of different interpretations there, and I, I'm not quite sure even where that's going. I think sometimes interpretations need to be perhaps pushed by government in terms of maybe coming down more on the side of the providers themselves. So I think there's lack of clarity to some degree in terms of you know what they should or shouldn't be paying out. So um, this often is the issue in terms of maybe government forcing an issue through, much like they're attempting to do with the car insurance companies where they're saying, look, you know, you need to come on board here and help people out. I think that's the issue. And so I think it's a wait and see right now in terms of what may or may not happen. So it's quite a difficult one because I think insurance companies themselves are perhaps trying to factor in what exactly will happen in three to five years or one year's time or six months' time. So that's the problem. But often when it comes down to an interpretation, much like the airlines, you know, where the airlines were saying, well, we'll give a rebate. We won't give a rebate. And the government's saying, well, we need them to survive. So what's going to be the interpretation on this one? So I think it's an ebb and flow. And I think it's also a pressure that needs to happen in terms of, 
you guys need to come on board and help us out here because there are people and businesses that will find it very, very difficult to make those premium payments in the short term. And just on those couple of points that you mentioned about the kind of measures that businesses need to consider, Frank, over the next couple of months, I mean, it's a very difficult period for businesses, but are there some basic steps they can take, even if they are in that kind of, um, that time frame at the moment where they don't know when they're going to be reopening again? Yeah, I mean, that this is a challenge globally right now. I mean, we've talked about consumers. I mean, generally, consumer spending will be down. I know we've seen it perhaps go up in gaming and online streaming and, and groceries, but it's very difficult to spend money for consumers. And consumers, by definition, will then just simply hold back on spending, which has a wide uh, uh, knock-on impact for, for business, particularly like hospitality, things like that. So I think the challenge will be, and it's across the board, is business, and what I'm hearing from businesses is they're all holding on to cash. You know, that's that's, that's the challenge if we look in terms of what's happening with even mal owners. You know, um, many tenants perhaps aren't paying. So this is a global issue. Uh, it's not just Irish. And so the challenge right now is where businesses have cash, for example, is, is, is perhaps they need to find ways of maybe holding on to that as long as possible because they will need cash to come back in. Now, government is acting on that side to perhaps help business come back. There are packages that are announced. So that side is very fluid. The golden rule in all of this, unfortunately, is where there is cash, try to preserve it, and where there's a chance to save some cash, try to find it. And that comes back to really going through the detail of what policies are in place, what costs are in place. And from a business perspective, you know, uh, there are some businesses that simply aren't paying rent. You know, we, we know that, you know, so mm-hmm. are holding off on rent. So th- that is a very fluid situation right now. I think the biggest thing for any business is to try to maintain as much cash as possible so they can, they can begin to open back up. Um, and then we just don't know where consumers will be. But the sooner we can return some element of stability to the consumer, at least an expectation that, you know, we see this perhaps ending, this is the phase withdrawal from lockdowns, I think that provides a certain level of, of, of um, control back to consumer. And then when you have that level of control, consumers tend to spend. But it's all driven by the consumer at the end of the day. Just fine. Yeah, just just finally, Frank, for the moment, for people who uh, they may not be going abroad on holidays now anytime soon, but maybe where they've paid the annual or the upfront, you know, holiday travel insurance, can they expect any rebate in that? Yeah, and again, that's a fluid one, and it's kind of kind of a game of two halves. There, there are some anomalous ones out there, you know, people who may have been going to the United States where the flights weren't cancelled in some cases, but the passengers were, uh, and so there's an anomaly around that one. Uh, but I th- what it was clearly, you know, lockdown measures. Many of the consolidators of the travel agents were given refunds in those cases, and I think perhaps where they fell outside of those lockdown periods, I think it's a little bit open to interpretation again. Uh, and so in those cases, have the conversation, number one, with the provider. Number two, if there's a difficulty or people have a different interpretation, they feel they should get their money back, they should certainly talk to the CCPC as a the last line of defence. That's the Competition Consumer Protection Commission. First visit their website. They have a call line as well. Uh, and then maybe engage with the provider to see if they can get some credits back. And this is an ongoing, very fluid situation for lots of people. The, the final point, I just think it's really important as well, Andrea, is for, for, the, for the listeners, also make sure that for people who have lost income or who may have felt that they've overpaid on taxes this year, there may be some tax rebates for people. Again, go back to revenue and visit that because often people may not be aware of maybe some income tax rebates that might be out there. So it's just an important piece on the income side for people that there might be just an extra bit of income coming back later on um, from revenue and then obviously file for their any tax reliefs or their tax reliefs outside of the e-credit 
e-worker credits that, are, that might be out there. Frank Conway from MoneyWiz, the founder and financial literacy expert. My thanks to you for joining us on the programme this morning. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. Well, you're welcome back to the second part of today's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we're asking where savings can be made during this time and post-COVID-19. But now we're going to turn our attention to the health sector, asking what potential savings can be made and can you make during this particular period. Well, joining us on the line is health insurance expert from TotalHealthCover.ie, Dermot Good. Dermot, first of all, um, the health insurance area seems to be maybe the one sector or certainly the first sector during all of this where there may be a little bit of good news for consumers. Yes, there is actually. So um, what, what's happening, Andrea, is that the, the, the insurance companies have uh, collectively agreed to pass on rebates to uh, consumers. And effectively what they've done is they've calculated how much they expect their claims to be reduced by um, during, the, I suppose, the COVID crisis. So um, because, as, as you know, a lot of the private hospitals have been temporarily leased or taken over by the public system. Um, so they estimate their claims will be reduced by about 50% and therefore they are passing on, look, on average 50% savings to people. Um, some one insurance company, Leia, has already started passing on those rebates. VHI will be writing to pretty much everybody this coming week if they haven't done so already and Irish Life in the next two weeks. So there is some good news, roughly 50% of a rebate for that three-month period. And then we're expecting the private hospitals dare I say it, to return to normal, but we are expecting them to exit this leasing agreement um, by the end of June and then to revert back to their normal services from them. So yes, some good news for consumers coming their way. Is it every single insurance company in the medical sector that's going to do this, Dermot? Yeah, all three. I mean, all three have been involved in discussions with the HSE and with the private hospitals. So whilst there are there are different approaches, all three will be passing on on rebates. I mean, for example, they are giving everybody the same rebate, whether you're on the lowest plan or the highest plan. Uh, VHI and Irish Life are applying different percentages, but for most people on the mainstream plans, they're going to see increases or sorry decreases rather, forty five to fifty percent. On some entry-level plans, like the very, very basic plans, they may not get as much. Some of those in, or decreases could be 17 to 20%. But there is, there is some respite there for everybody. And for people who haven't heard from their insurance company yet, I would give them another couple of weeks. There, there are logistical challenges in getting this money back to people because people pay in different ways and some people still pay up front by check and so on. So they're just working out how they get it back to people, whether it's through their group scheme or directly. But yes, those refunds will be coming to people. And, and what it means for some people, Andrea, is that it means that they'll probably pay less for the coming year than they just paid for the previous year, even though all rates have gone up. Mm. So there is there is some good news there. But once again, we would just say to people, just um, just wait for that. It, it is coming. OK, let me ask you about people who pay, you know, up front and they pay the annual premium in, in one go when it's up for renewal. Because I know, for instance, people when they pay um, in monthly instalments, obviously they'll just pay a reduced rate maybe this month or next month. But how in terms of the people who are paying in one instalment at the start of the year, will they just get a, re- a rebate? Is it soon or maybe at the end of the year? Somebody was asking me. No, we're expecting actually they're all going to get those those rebates now in the coming weeks. So if somebody is paid up front for the year, the likelihood is uh, they will either, for example, if they're due a refund of, we'll say, €300, €100 Euro, Euro for the three months, 
Now, what we're unsure of yet is whether they will get three separate payments for 100 each uh, for each of the three months or whether they'll get a, a lump. They may very well get a lump. And this is where different insurance companies will be taking different approaches. But the good news is, though, is that even for people who have paid up front for the year or people who are about to pay their premium and pay in one lump sum, everybody is going to get the refund, irrespective of, of how they pay. There will be some challenges where maybe somebody is having it deducted through their salary in a work scheme. Mm. Um, some of those work schemes may may not have, the, I suppose, the resources right now to start adjusting payroll. So what we understand is the insurance companies are working with those group schemes, and if it's a case that they can't tr- do it through your payroll, then they will make the refund directly to the member but everybody will get this and really what i would say to any of your listeners if they haven't heard from their insurance company in the next two weeks then really they just need to contact them and the insurance company will will explain exactly how they'll get the refund but the good news is it is across the board it's across all three health insurance companies differences in the approaches but fundamentally everybody is going to get a refund which i suppose in the current crisis and given that people really don't have access to the full suite of services that they're paying for Mm -hmm. it's only fair and and uh, to be fair to the insurance companies i suppose the refund they're giving is slightly higher than we expected and it does look like they're passing on the savings that they're making because there are reduced claims. So hopefully other insurers will follow suit as well. Now, if this continues, and looking, I know, at the contract whereby the public have sort of taken over the, the private facilities in terms of the services being offered at the moment during this COVID-19 pandemic, Dermot, can people expect further um, rebates, a further reduction, depending on the length of time or the duration of all this? Yes, I think they can because the, the insurance companies, again, whilst at the moment they're, they're just it's just for the three-month period, but all three have indicated that if this is extended, uh, which hopefully it won't be, but if it is extended, and in other words, if their savings are, let's just say, more prolonged, then they have all indicated that the, any savings they will make will be passed on to members. So, yes, if this becomes... I think the contract that has been, um, let's just say, signed up to between or agreed between the public and private hospitals. My understanding is for a three-month period, but can be extended to four months and to five months, but five months maximum duration. So if that does happen, which is not good news for anybody, but if it does happen, the insurance companies have indicated the savings will be extended to cover that period. At this moment in time, though, Andrew, we are expecting, um, I know a lot of private hospitals want to get back to normal service. I know a lot of consultants want to get back to seeing their patients. We also know that a lot of people are, I suppose, voluntarily um, cancelling or postponing or deferring treatment, which is not good. Um, People are worried about going into any hospital right now, you know, for risk of contracting the virus. So um, we're hoping that this will all come to an end in terms of the public-private hospitals agreement at the end of June, and then hopefully then people will go back and start getting those diagnostics and getting all the treatments that maybe they've been postponing. So that's the hope at the moment. What sort of issues, Dermot, are being presented at the moment for um, people who have private health insurance during this period, during this COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, it's funny. We're we're seeing some interesting trends coming through. Um, Like, for example, some services are still available. So people can still access some of these private A&E services. People can still access private MRI scans. Some consultants have not signed up to the HSE public contract, so they're still seeing patients and charging them consultancy fees, and and people can still claim them back as well. I mean, the the normal thing where people would simply go to a consultant who would bring them in to get a procedure done and they would choose whichever hospital and so forth, 
that obviously is suspended at the moment in most hospitals. But but even with that, Andrea, we're, we're hearing like, you know, details regarding exceptions to that. So, for example, we're hearing of people contacting private hospitals and these private hospitals are bringing them in as public patients to get treatment done because they have spare capacity. Um, so we're, we're hearing lots of different things going on at the moment. I mean, I suppose in terms of some of the trends right now, we, we are hearing a lot of people just cancelling and postponing treatment because it's not essential and they want to wait until it's safe. The other thing too as well, we're getting a lot of inquiries, obviously, for people who now maybe have lost their jobs or temporarily laid off or they're on reduced incomes. Mm. So we are getting a lot of inquiries from people who aren't making any judgments or decisions right now, but they're worried for the future and they're worried will they be able to afford their premium. And what I would say to those people is that obviously the rebate from the health insurance companies is helping. The government initiative to, I suppose, support employers to keep people on the books and pay the, the 70, 70, 80 percent of salary, that is also working as well. But how long that can be continued, we don't know. Um, but the risk is here is that if there isn't a return, I suppose, to normal employment levels, because there's a direct correlation between employment levels and health insurance. If if that if we don't return to some, let's just say, normality, we will see a lot of people reducing and potentially cancelling their cover over the, let's just say, between now and the end of the year. Now, we are coming into the quiet period, but that's not good news for the industry because you may recall 300,000 people cancelled their cover during the previous economic crisis, the downturn. So we went from 2.3 million down to 2 million people. We're now nearly just up to, I think, the end of February. We were back up to two point, just 2.3 million people again. So you could argue the market had made a full recovery but now there's there's a very real risk of all of those gains being very quickly eroded if, let's just say, people aren't able to return to work. So at the moment, we're kind of in a lull period waiting to see exactly what the prognosis is going to be in terms of employment mm. and so on. So there are there are inherent risks. One thing we are seeing, though, a lot of people, I suppose, are cleaning up their health insurance, if I could, if I could call it that. We're getting a lot of people who ordinarily are just too busy. They're now reviewing their cover and they're making big savings. And, and that's one thing, by the way, as well. Um, Andrea, that a lot of people might be thinking, well, a hundred euro a month savings for my, you know, for my health insurance, the rebate is great. But what they don't realise, if they're on the same plan for three years or more, or if their parents are on the same plan for fifteen or twenty years, your savings could actually be multiples of that. So a lot of people now are reviewing their cover. We're seeing a lot of young people doing reviews now for their elderly parents because they have time to do it Mm. and they know mum and dad are worried about changing. We're also seeing a lot of people now going back over their previous uh, four to five years and claiming all the expenses that they didn't claim back and submitting claims for tax relief. So we are seeing a lot of people, let's just say, using the the extra spare time they have to, I suppose, clean up their finances and health insurance obviously is one of those. So there's some positives in there as well. Just remind us of that form, Dermot, that people can need to to use to, uh, to claim back on the medical expense. Yeah, so there's a couple of things what we would always say to people is, so first of all, if you have health insurance that gives you money back on routine expenses, well then go back to all your GPs and your consultants and for every physio you've been to, they have all the records there, get those receipts because you may be entitled to a 50% refund on your health insurance plan. A lot of people don't claim that. If you have claimed that, then the other 50% that you haven't been getting back, you can claim 20% tax relief on that through the Med1 form. 
and they should all those forms should be on the revenue website and details of how you claim the tax relief. Also, Andrea, anybody who has paid excesses, so people have small excesses on their policies, or anybody maybe who's had a baby recently and they have a shortfall on maternity expenses, or maybe they have a co-payment on their policy where they're not fully covered maybe for hip replacements or anything like that, get all those expenses together because you can go back four years and you can claim tax relief on those expenses. And another thing that we've discovered as well, the amount of people who are working in, in schemes, companies who pay their health insurance, and these people now realise that they haven't been getting the tax relief on their premium. When your employer pays it for you, you don't get the tax relief automatically. You have to claim it as part of your end-of-year tax return. Andrea, those people can go back four years as well and claim those tax reliefs. So we're seeing a lot of people now digging out the paperwork and I suppose doing things that they just were too busy to do. And it's worth money in their pockets. And, you know, do it for you and do it for every member of your family as well. Um, and most of those, most of that information is, is on the revenue website. And you can go back four years with those claims typically. So there may be some extra savings for people here as well. OK, Dermot Good, health insurance expert with TotalCover.ie. My thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. Well, you're very welcome back to the final part of News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we're continuing our discussion, asking where savings to your personal finances and your business finances can be made during this time and post-COVID-19. Well, joining us on the line is Peter Boland from the Alliance for Insurance Reform. Peter, just first of all, can I ask you, what are the insurance issues that are being brought up during this period for both personal customers and then for businesses as well? Okay, so there are three uh, ones that uh, came up immediately, Andrea, and a fourth which is really starting to, to bubble up at this stage. The, uh, the one that's probably got the most coverage is uh, business interruption cover, uh, where businesses and social enterprises uh, were obliged to close, uh, did so with the common good in mind, uh, went to their insurance policies, uh, saw that there may or may not have been cover for business interruption in the current circumstances uh, and then went typically to their broker looking to, to lodge a claim and were told that there was absolutely no cover uh, for COVID-19. And can, just before you go on, Peter, can I just ask you just to, to explain to people that aren't involved in business, what is this policy? Okay, so typically an, an insured entity in business or the community side of things will have public liability insurance obviously covers uh, anything that to do with the public. Employer liability insurance, uh, they will insure their buildings uh, and the contents. And then they will have business interruption insurance. So I've, as you can imagine, I've read an awful lot of business interruption mm. policy over the last few weeks. And they will cover all sorts of um, circumstances where uh, a business might be forced to close or uh, reduce its activity. And it, uh, when would that typically be used? Like, is that if there is a fire? Is it, I mean, what sort of... Um, could be fire, could be something like a, a, a computer collapse in the IT systems. Uh, it could be something like a burst pipe. Uh, it could, could be something external um, where the local authority closed down the street uh, for for certain under certain circumstances, and typically then policies have an extension, as they call it, uh, an additional piece of cover, um, which includes things to do with notifiable diseases, of which COVID nineteen is now one. 
Um, but as always in these issues, the devil is in the detail. Mm. And so uh, obviously a lot of policyholders had a look at their policy said, oh, notifiable diseases is covered. And uh, like I say, got in touch typically with the broker and were faced with a, a blanket refusal. And can, uh, can I just ask you on that? Is that something, I mean, is that like sort of the, you know, the, the windscreen cover in the car policy that m- 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 uh, people will be familiar with with their motor insurance? Is it something that people have to take out or is it something that's a sort of an, an optional extra that you might take out, Peter? I think up to very recently, an awful lot of businesses mightn't even have been aware that it was there. Uh, It was typically put in by the insurers uh, and very large, very complex businesses uh, would have made sure that it was in there. And particularly for events that are time specific, like uh, Wimbledon, by all accounts, is, is covered for it and is claiming cover for compensation on it right now. Very large festivals and other outdoor events would have made sure that it was in there. But typically, like a lot of the clauses in, in policies, it was put in by insurers and it just sat there unused and unloved up to now. So what what does this mean? I mean, if I have Andrea Gilligan's business, whatever that may be, and I had taken out this policy on whatever advice I received, am I now covered for closure during this period? Well, it's clear, to be honest, from what we've seen, that the majority of policyholders aren't covered, uh, that uh, there are limits to the policies and what they cover. However, um, there are probably three categories in total, those that aren't covered, uh, those that clearly are, and those in a middle ground where the, the relevant sections are ambiguous. And the Central Bank have made it very clear and they, they don't often come out on the side of consumers when it comes to insurance. And this has been an ongoing criticism of ours uh, on the central bank. But what they have said is that where there is insurance cover in place, claims must be accepted and paid promptly. And that's just not happening. We have seen several underwriters uh, who look like they're determined to take this as far as they can and string it out for as long as possible. And then you look at the those ambiguous policies And what the central bank are saying is that where where there is any ambiguity, where the policy wording is not clear, then if there is doubt about the meaning of a term, the interpretation must favour the customer. And that's that's an established legal principle anyway. Um, So that has always been in place. And again, uh, what we're seeing is underwriters denying any liability. But but, but, what's the rationale, though, Peter, that's been given for that to to the customers you've been talking to? Well, the real rationale is profit protection. Um, I I think SMEs across the country have taken an enormous hit uh, on behalf of society by closing down and it has left an awful lot of individuals in a very, very difficult situation. And what we are not seeing from insurers is them stepping up to the mark and, and doing the same. It is business as usual for insurers and essentially what they are making sure is that the quarterly figures are as good as they possibly can be. But so, but, it, but is it a case that there's some loophole that some of the businesses in these cases don't fit the criteria? Or Well, we've seen ones that are black and white. And I think it's been widely covered that one of the policies out there, the insurer actually came back to one policyholder and confirmed that they were covered uh, for COVID-19 and are now blankly refusing to, 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 to uh, cover it. Um, so... In many cases where the policy is black and white, 
they are not engaging, uh, they are refusing to pay out. And this will be strung out over a period of time, either through the Financial Services and Pensions Ombudsman or through arbitration or the courts. And it really looks at this stage as if insurers are intent on dragging it out as long as possible because you cannot make a payment to a business that has gone into liquidation. Well, I know that, as you mentioned, like the central bank has been quite clear in actually contacting some of the insurance firms and telling them to you know, take account of this situation and for people to go and look at their own policies. Yeah, absolutely. But the central bank have also made it very clear that they will not pursue individual cases. So you're on your own, essentially, when it comes to pursuing this. Um, but for small businesses, businesses with a turnover of under €3 million, Euro, they have the option of going to the financial ombudsman once they've pursued the claim and haven't got uh, made any progress uh, with the insurer. So uh, there are options there, particularly for smaller businesses. But as I say, it really looks at this stage as if insurers are determined to string this out uh, until the problem goes away. Can I ask you about when some of the restrictions are lifted, Peter, or when they're, for instance, when they're due to be eased, say, in uh, over the next six weeks or so, for instance, on the 18th of May and then subsequently in June, and, and, and in particular for some areas where there's the likes of maybe, you know, sports facilities or sports amenities, when they might be allowed to reopen. Are there any difficulties there for, for companies with regards to their insurance? Okay, well, this is the this is the fourth issue, which is starting to brew at the moment. The other two, by the way, numbers two and three are forbearance. In other words, if you're closed for two or three months due to COVID-19, surely you should get part of your policy back or get an extension to the policy to take account of that. And while we're seeing a little bit of movement in terms of vouchers being handed out to private motor policyholders, we are not seeing any level of forbearance on behalf of businesses. But, so, is that, but is that because the, 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 the business, say the shop or the, the pub or the restaurant or the hotel, it'll still require insurance in the event of perhaps a, a break-in or a fire or something like that? Well, there's some, there's some marginal amount of cover required in, in most cases. So what we're not looking for is 100% refunds. Um, but certainly the risk, if an insurance policy is costed on the basis of risk, the risk has just collapsed. Uh, because there's so little activity going on. Uh, and so that should be reflected in, in uh, the arrangement. So you're saying um, but, that businesses in, should be getting some kind of a refund similar to the health sector? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Um, and then the, the, the third issue, by the way, very briefly, is is um, uh, the, the whole issue of lapsed cover. So in, in a lot of insurance policies, um, the cover lapses after a period of time if a premises is enclosed. Uh, is closed, I beg your pardon. So I would urge your listeners to go and have a look at their policy and see if there is a clause in there which suspends the cover after a period of time because most insurers, most members of Insurance Ireland uh, have committed to extending that to 90 days now where typically it's 30. Uh, But that's down to individual policies. So I'd urge anyone who's listening uh, to go and check their policy to make sure that they're now not out of cover. But going back to what you asked about sports clubs, and this applies to businesses, uh, community groups, voluntary groups, charities. It applies to everybody. They will be opening into a very different world in which uh, COVID-19 is probably still around. And in the short term, certainly, there will not be a vaccine. And what we're seeing is as policies are renewed, COVID-19 is being specifically excluded. And that just doesn't apply just to business interruption, uh, but also to public liability and employer liability. So the new world that we're going into 
most likely not going to involve insurance cover for COVID-19. And so anyone who is opening is going to have to be careful. But the reality of it is the Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, has committed to having a look at this issue. And I understand that he's talking to his civil servants about this at the moment. But as solicitors are um, like to say regularly, where there is no negligence, there is no claim. And so uh, we are confident that once policyholders stick to the advice of the Department of Health and do everything that is right in terms of the recommendations that they make, that there's very unlikely to be a liability. And the second issue, of course, is that COVID-19, if you look at the medical reports, can live on hard surfaces for up to 10 days. Um, So it would be very, very difficult, if not impossible, to prove that it was contracted at a very particular point in time in a very particular place. So it is very unlikely to become an issue. Um, But the reality is that going forward, it's very unlikely to be covered in insurance policies. And just, I I know you mentioned, obviously, Peter, that you're you're not in in an advisory position, but for people that are maybe listening today that are involved in perhaps, you know, the sports or the recreational facilities that might be going to get to reopen fairly soon or again in in private business, um, I mean, is presumably go and look through the, the nitty gritty of your own policy and speak to your broker. I suppose the first thing I do is speak to your your representative body. All of the representative bodies are working flat out on COVID-19 related issues at the moment. And uh, they will be in contact with the Department of Health and they will have very specific recommendations in place, we would assume, by the time that any of the sports bodies open. And then obviously talk to your broker, talk to your underwriter and uh, read your policy. Peter Boland from the Alliance for Insurance Reform. My thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. If you've missed any of the programme, you can as always download our podcast on our website or on the Go Loud app. And my thanks to the production team, Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Breakfast Briefing on Monday morning from 6. I'm up between the lines this time next week. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day. 